think it's always mental health week for me. It's always been a very personal struggle. Eight, ten years ago, I did something about my mental health and I'm happy to talk about it because I think if it had been normalised for me when I was a younger person, perhaps it wouldn't have taken me so long to deal with it. I'm Danny Vallant and this is Dirty Linen, the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about. What can we say about Annie Smithers? She's one of the most fun, interesting, knowledgeable, entertaining, wise, just a great person to chat to about food and restaurants. And given that, it's no surprise that uh, she's appeared a couple of times on Deep in the Weeds. But as I was discussing with Anthony and Rob, our producer, I said, there's no such thing as too much, Annie, is there? <laughs> and they, they agreed wholeheartedly that indeed there could never be too much Annie Smithers. So thank you oh, for being never too much Annie Smithers. Annie Smithers, it's so great to have you here on Dirty Linen. Well, we could say a blushing Annie Smithers because uh, I've got a rather florid, <laughs> florid colour to my cheeks. It's a, thank you so much. Uh, that's an absolute pleasure. And uh, when I rang you yesterday um, to have a chat about this podcast and you didn't answer the phone, I envisaged that you were out feeding geese. Um, apparently you weren't, but you are looking at, at something bucolic right now. Tell us what you're looking at. I, it, it's sort of, it's, we're recording at about lunchtime, but I'm looking at what I refer to as my breakfast customers who are my little flock of Scotland sheep who uh, have come back up the paddock to uh, see what sort of toast crumbs they can find on the floor, which is sort of, yeah, their version is hay on the grass. But they're sort of, every morning I go out there and I, I, let, I let the geese and the goats and the cows out and I, they all have breakfast. And then I take breakfast to the sheep and then I go and do the chooks and the ducks. And it's, it's a very beautiful way to start a day. Yeah, it sounds very nourishing, not just for the animals, but for the soul. Uh, so for people who don't know you and your restaurant, um, can you just locate yourself in non-locked down Victoria? I, I am in non-lockdown Victoria. I'm I'm still I'm still under restriction in terms of how many people we can have. But I I live in the beautiful uh, spa country of Victoria. So I live in a little town called Lionville, which is halfway between Trentham and Dalesford. And I have a little, uh, a restaurant that seats about 30 people in Trentham that we grow a lot of the fruit, fruit and vegetables for on my little farm here. And it, it, it's just such a very unusual position to be in where I, I assume that in normal times, many of your customers come up the highway from Melbourne. It's an easy jaunt. Uh, but, of course, at the moment, Melburnians are in reverse siege. I don't know how to think about it. It's uh, We are locked down and, and uh, our country cousins are not. So how is it going? How's custom going without your Melbourne customers at the moment? Well, we miss them. I can, I can tell you that much. But the – so last week when it – you know, when it transpired that you would all be locked down again, um, 
I think it happened on the Tuesday afternoon, and I was I was actually coming back from far western Victoria with a ram in a crate. So I was having a, a country outing. As you do. As you do. And one of the girls from work rang me and said, are you listening to the news? And I said, no. Um, so she told me, and then on Wednesday I decided I would just have a mental health day and stay outside and attend to said ram with his new ladies and the paddock and the vegetables. And then on Thursday we went in and sort of had a little war council about what to do. And yes, we have had an enormous amount of cancellations, but for every call or email about a cancellation, we have had one saying we live in a non-lockdown area and we can never get into your restaurant and we will happily come off the bench, I think was one man's expression, and fill your restaurant. So it's been incredibly overwhelming that there is yeah, the support for the regions from the regions when we don't get to access our beautiful Melbourne customers. So it's it it's one week at a time for us but we're feeling very positive and very grateful and you know hopefully hopefully that'll that'll see us through the next 6 weeks and in the meantime we just we just hope and pray that our melbourne cousins you know cope with yet another another sort of one out of the bag yeah, we'll do our best. And I think, yeah, uh, lunch at your restaurant can be a little talisman held up as a light at the end of the tunnel. So um, something definitely to look forward to when we're allowed to visit again. Um, so, Annie, it's Mental Health Week on Dirty Linen. And as I definitely encourage people to do, you actually put yourself forward for this episode and um, felt that you had something to bring to this topic, the way that mental health and hospitality intersect. So, yeah, tell me what inspired you to to reach out to be part of an episode uh, during this particular week. Well, I think it's always mental health week for me. I um, <laughs> it is <laughs> bloody okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those things that you could say bloody bloody hell, pet. Um, but look, I. I have I have always struggled with my mental health and it is you know something that has it's always been a very personal struggle um, but so ten eight ten years ago I did something about my mental health and I think since then I'm, I'm a little bit like a you know a born again Christian or a reform smoker that I I'm happy to talk about it because I think if it had been normalised for me when I was a younger person, perhaps it wouldn't have taken me so long to deal with it. And in dealing with things like your mental health position, the more you can normalise it and talk about it is that in turn helps others. And it's that effect of that the yeah it's a bit like the coronavirus really isn't it the multiplication effect of if I can if I can you know if I can help one person one person can help you know yeah it starts to multiply out so it is it is something that's very close to my heart but I believe that we need to remove the stigma from so that uh, more help more people can get more help I think, yeah, good on you. I think it's so important. So tell tell me about, um, you know, before 
eight years ago when you decided to uh, take some action? Tell me, tell me what kinds of things you were experiencing. Oh, look, as a as an apprentice, I got uh, glandular fever, and I was I was very ill with glandular fever, but didn't didn't cope coming out of that as well as I'd hoped. And I went to my GP and I said, look, you know, I'm not really coping at work. Um, what what what's wrong with me? And I yeah, you know, I'd had the trials and tribulations of a you know that a lot of adolescents go through, um, and I don't think. Yeah, my mental health was fantastic as an adolescent, but in those days, yeah, we're talking about the seventies. It wasn't really addressed in the same way. But my GP in the eighties said, "Oh, you're suffering from something called post-illness depression." And I said, "Oh, all right, okay. So, what do I do with that?" And he said, "Oh, look, you know, go and see a psychiatrist." And I said, "All right, okay." So I trotted off to a psychiatrist, and she said to me, she asked me a lot about my life and what I did. And it was something I didn't pay much attention to, you know, in 1988, but I think about it a lot these days, particularly with young people in the industry. And she asked me, she asked me where I worked and at that time I was an apprentice at Stephanie's and she asked me what my life was like and I said, well, you know, I, I want to give 110% every day that I'm at work. I want I want to succeed. I want to do really well in my industry. I want I want I want to be this person. I want to, you know, excel. And she sort of looked at me and she said, you know, do you have to take it that seriously? And I said, Yeah, I do. I really, really do. And she said, Well do you have much life outside of that? And I said, No, because I'm tired because I work hard. And it was just this sense of you know, she, she basically said you need to allow yourself to be a 21-year-old. You need to be able to cut loose. You need to be able to not take this quite so seriously. And I went away from that appointment and I thought, oh, yeah, whatever, and just threw myself back into what I was doing. And then across the, across the years there were a number of really nasty meltdowns where I just, I just failed to... I just I just failed to turn up to life on some days, and when you're when you're in a perform yeah we we live in a performance based industry so whether it's whether it's the fact that I have to turn up and run a kitchen or I have to turn up and be part of a team or I have to turn up and just cook for customers that are paying money is it is a it is a performance position and you are judged daily on your performance particularly by the customers. So you can't really afford to have those days where you don't turn up, can you? And that that cre- well, you can't phone it in. You can't phone it in, and it is you 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 that pressure of always turning up to a hospitality job is one that I think many many in the industry find of it. You you are frowned upon if you have a sick day. So even if you, yeah, the only reason to not turn up to a kitchen is if you have gastro. Well, that was the old-fashioned thing, wasn't it? Of it didn't matter, it didn't matter what was wrong with you. But if you had gastro, you couldn't come into the kitchen because you'd make the customers sick, but and everybody else. But everything else, you, you can tough it out. And so I think that 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 also made that sense of not being able to turn up you forced yourself to do it but it would have ramifications that just just made me less and less well over the years I feel 
And was there some sort of crunch that um, that occurred, yeah, eight years ago when you started uh, saying help? Well, there was there was a random opportunity where I really wasn't coping very well with life, and it was descending into a fairly yeah, the, there's there's a there's a the, it, it's sort of like the curtain coming down in your brain. There's a blackness that just keeps you know. There's less and less light in your in your brain. And out of the front door, I saw my wonderful local. This is you know the joys of a country town, I suppose. GP walking past, and I ran to the door of the restaurant because we weren't open. I said, "Hey, hey, hey!" And she said, "Annie, how are you?" And I said. I actually said, I'm completely and utterly fucked. I cannot see the woods for the trees anymore. I have to come and see you and sort this out. And it was it, the randomness of it was that sense of I didn't have to get myself into a headspace where I could ring up the surgery and say I needed to see the doctor and make an appointment and do all of those things. I just had this little purge at her. <laughs> And she said, I will ring you on Monday morning and make an appointment for you. So I didn't have to make the appointment. She took that into her hands and she said, I will look after you. Wow. And she did. She sounds very attuned. She is very attuned. She's she's moved, Unfortunately, she's moved out of general pack practice, but God love her, she has moved into care of the elderly. So she's a very um, empathetic woman. So... Yeah, so it was just it was it was the it was just that one thing that I needed to actually go and see help. So she 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 um she sent me off to a psychiatrist and you know, I went to a very straight up and down psychiatrist who was a drug you know basically put me through some tests and said I think you need to be medicated and I was and I hated it. And because it was, you know, it was a drug that made me a bit fuzzy and took the edge off me. And it was, you know, having an edge in a kitchen is something that, you know, it's a bit, we're a bit like knives, us cooks. We need to have a, a keen edge. <laughs> we need, and that was, that wasn't great. And then, so I wasn't terribly good at taking my pills and then, you know, I, she retired and I found another psychiatrist and she put me on another drug and that was a reasonably happy relationship for a couple of years. But as with all mental health stuff, it, it, it doesn't always play by the rules and it doesn't matter how often you see somebody or what drugs you, they're prescribed the the ebb and flow of your own life changes that. So it sort of, you know, the help that I was getting wasn't really working and I I fell in another big hole. And then I went back to my same GP and said, you know, this isn't working for me. And that was oh that was that was a fairly grim time. But um she she then found me a, another psychiatrist and I have been with him for the last five years. And initially, for four of those years, I saw him every fortnight, which is a, it's a bit of a hike getting from the country to Melbourne every fortnight to see your psych. But he felt that that was necessary. And we've been through, I think, three different drugs in those four or five years, because every so often I've got to change them up. And I graduated about a year ago to seeing him once a, once a month. And it's been, 
Yeah, I. it doesn't mean that I don't fall in the odd hole, but he has given me a whole lot of information that we share we share at work and I'll share with anyone who listens. But a lot of it is general um, general information about patterns of behaviour and being, you know, how you operate in the world today. That is great for me because I need to be, I need to have a toolkit of things to help me through life. But there are also things that help, you know, people that I work with and people that I talk to uh, and basically anyone who will listen. But do you have a diagnosis of a particular condition, Annie? Oh, yes. I, I suffer from depression and I suffer from anxiety and I'm borderline agoraphobic. So, you know, I have, uh, I have a few things. <laughs> I've got a, I mean, a, I've got, a, a portfolio. I've got a, I've got a certificate that can, you know, if I go to use my <laughs> certificate, I can prop it out and say, you know, I'm mad. But, um, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> We're not we're not really meant to encourage you know talk like that, but yeah, I am I am a, officially a depressed, anxious, vaguely agoraphobic person. Okay, it's um, it's uh, those words aren't something that you you know on on face value you'd say. Well, let's celebrate this, but I, I think it sounds like for you, it's actually a relief to be able to to name and label the things that you're feeling, would that be a fair thing to say? I think it is a fair thing to say and it is, um, you know, it, it's, it's not that I celebrate the fact that I, I have this diagnosis. It's the fact that it is, um, I, I can remember someone saying to me once that, you know, it was attention-seeking behaviour and that, you know, I had this blessed life and I didn't take advantage of it. And that stuck, that, that really stung me. So now I feel that it is, a, in a sense, having a diagnosis means that I can actually move forward and say, no, this is not how I choose to behave this is just the reality for me on some days, you know, some, day, some days are really bad and they're not, they're not easy to live through. And I don't say that, I don't choose those words lightly either, but it, there is an enormous celebration for all the good days and you start to, you start to realise that what you do have on the good days is just gold and it is to be celebrated every there is only today we can plan a bit for tomorrow and we can't do anything about yesterday there is only today to live for and that is you know that's how i approach my life these days and how have you built a life that helps you be your best danny well, I use I use a lot of the stuff that that George has um, taught me, and these are these are sort of skills of, you know, I used to be somebody who could be forced into a corner very easily. I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to make people happy, um, as a lot of us in hospitality do. We we strive. You know, our job is to look after people and make them happy. And that's, that's with customers and it's also with employers. 
And also as now that I'm an employer with, you know, trying to make my employees, employees happy. And I would often, as many of us do, I think, get forced into a corner of accepting, you know, just just accepting the situation and taking more and more on but being uncomfortable with things. So, yeah, can you work more hours? Yes. Yeah, can you work some more hours? Yes. Can you give a little bit more? Yes, I can give a little bit more. Yes, yes, yes. And then at some point there's a breaking point where you snap and you come flailing out of a situation, barreling out of the corner. And the damage that you do then takes an enormous amount of energy to actually you know, redress and sort of make amends for. So I've become much more upfront on what I can do. Um, I know that there are some patterns in my behaviour that I need to always be aware of. You know, financial stress will always be, like for many of us, will be a catalyst for me to not do so well. So being, you know, I've learned to communicate with the tax department without fear. I can ring them up and say, hey, I can't pay this bill. Whereas in the past I might have thought, oh, God, I can't ring them. They'll think I'm a failure. They'll think I'm terrible. I'm not holding my end up, you know, whatever. I just ring them up and say, hey, listen, I can't pay this bill at the moment. Yeah, right. And I can, you know, I, th- those are big, brave steps for me in my life. Um, I can, you know, you know, I'm someone who can't actually ask for directions, I can't go into a service station and say, "Can you help me?" You know, so there, that sort of that sort of life is now being pulled out a little bit, where I can actually say, "You know, I need some help," or I can also look at you know behaviours that other people you know put on me, and say, "Hey, this is not my shit. This is this is where you are in your life," and. You know, you don't need to put that on me because it's actually got nothing to do with me. It's like, you know, the hangry customer who wants to give your staff a hard time because they're not getting their breakfast quickly enough is my staff are doing all the right things. Just because you got out of bed the wrong way, don't. But it's very, it's, it's a really tough skill to learn that it's not your fault. A lot of these things are not your fault and not your problem. You just need to, you know, work with the person and sort them out. So hospitality is rife with lots of those problems, I think. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess there's a lot of, I mean, people, there's a lot of, I guess, people and personalities interacting. So that's always going to mean that people are coming from different positions. Yes, people got out of the, the wrong side of bed. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think it's a great arena for learning how to deal with people and I guess also learning what in people you don't need to deal with or you don't need to deal with in that moment. But it is, yeah, there is so much in that business of looking after people where I guess your instinct is to deal with everything and to try to make it come out in a way that's pleasing. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's yeah. just a lot of dynamics at play. There are. And another another thing that I think is central to some of the mental health issues in our industry is, you know, obviously our work-life balance. And I have worked an enormous number, both at other people's behest and my own, of double and triple shifts. And 
I am in a position now where I can dictate that I no longer wish to work more than an eight-hour day. I am a, a great believer in the 888 day of, you know, the old labour the old labour flag. Um, and I feel that one of the things that our industry does need to address is the, the length of time that people actually work. And I know that overwork is another one of my triggers that can yeah, precipitate a bit of a meltdown. But it's also something that interferes with the efficacy of my work. So if I'm not eating well, I'm not sleeping well, and I'm working too much, is I'm not as good as when I am doing all the right things. And the fact that we we ask a lot of our workers to work very long hours, or even if they are actually only doing eight or ten hours, but they're doing it across a huge time span of split shifts, is that is really, it's making it really tough for anybody who, for any normal person, let alone a person who may be on a spectrum or may have a, a diagnosed or an undiagnosed mental health condition. So I feel that we need to, to look at our workplace and say, how, how can we structure this better? Do we need to look at models where we only work a certain amount of hours or do we need to job share so that, you know, we can give more people jobs that are obviously of less pay value but better for their mental health. So it's a really, really tough issue for our industry but I find that with offering staff no more than an eight-hour day is I allow them to have a life and what they choose to do with their life is their business. So if they want to go and get a second job because they want to earn more money, that's their business. In the same way that I, I choose to do my eight hours, but I'll come home and I might weed for two hours or I might write something or you know, I might teach a class on my days off. But I understand now that that is a choice that I make and it means that I have to take responsibility for those consequences. But my core life now is centred around doing, you know, a 40 to 45-hour week as an owner-operator of a small business. Yeah, that's definitely something I think a lot of people would be listening to this and thinking, oh, that sounds good. Um, so I'm thinking back to you when you were working at Stephanie's and you were told or asked if you needed to take it that seriously. Do you think there's a bit of a disconnect between the idea of taking it seriously and trying to create food that's very beautiful and this idea of slogging it and that that, that has to take a long time? And, and I guess also this idea of, you know, the classic idea of you need to have done something for 10,000 hours to be really good at it, you know, whatever that is, whether that's like you need to do something for 100 hours a week to be really good at it. Do you, th do you think there's some sort of confusion in this idea about equating being really good at cooking or running a restaurant with being there for a long time? Um, I think there is a great deal of confusion. And it, when I look actually back at those days is we actually did work a 40-odd hour a week at Stephanie's. You could choose to come in earlier if you wanted to, but it was the – that, and it was a, an incredible kitchen to sort of start my – to, you know, 
do my apprenticeship in because it was worked on a system of mentor and an apprentice. So we worked in teams of a, a qualified cook with an apprentice in each section of the kitchen. So it it is something that sort of I started with that has perhaps been diluted over the you know the years that I've been cooking and is almost coming back full circle in some some of the sort of you know top class restaurants. But the the discipline for me was that we I wanted to I wanted to work that hard and I wanted to take it that seriously and I wanted to give it that hundred percent yeah that hundred and ten percent to succeed and do well in this industry. And where where the confusion lies is that particularly as the world has sped up here, um, you know, over that 30 to 35 years, is that we young kids today who want to be able to succeed and do really well, they they never get to turn off from it because of, I mean, if I wanted to learn a technique that wasn't available to me as a young kid is I'd have to go home and read a book. Now, you know, we're bombarded by so much social media of vision and um, opportunity to look at new ideas and excel that it's really hard for people to turn off and actually just disconnect from what they're doing. I, th- I think it's getting harder and harder and that's creating more and more problems. Yeah, that's there's a barrage and I guess you could always access a feeling of missing out on something now. Like there would always be something going on that you wouldn't see and that you would have missed out on. So I think yeah, there's no there's no natural off switch as as there may have been. And we no- we do yeah, we need an off switch and I think you know, a lot of the traditional off switches of hospitality have been um, they've been oh, how's the best way of putting it? There's there's that sense that you know going out and having a drink with your mates is an off switch. You know, and I find that you know when I look at some of the more troubled times in my past, is the the culture of drinking with your your workmates who are your family, is a sort of self destructive thing of sort of there's nobody else awake at one o'clock when you've done a sixteen hour shift, so you drink with your mates, you bitch with your mates, you you know, you 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 don't. It, it's sort of like this self defeating thing of sort of trying to break that cycle of. Uh, you know, poor habits, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, not, not to say that the having a drink with your mates is always going to be a bad thing. Sometimes that's just what you need, but I suppose it's... It's what you need, yeah. I guess it's just finding that balance and moderation. And I think I think we do as a hospitality family is you've talked a bit about it with in other episodes about the fact that we are, you know, our work colleagues are our family and... They always have been, but you sort of change families when you change jobs because you don't have a lot of outside time. And we do break down the, we do, we're forced out of a lot of the social constructs of life. So we do work weekends and we do work nights. And it is something where, look, I I have to say I'm quite happy that I've missed out on a whole lot of family things that I don't have to go to because I'm working. But sometimes that that balance can be tipped and you think, 
you know, what have I missed out on? You know, I don't have children, so I, it's not like I've fitted in bringing up kids in my life and, you know, you know, squashing them into hospitality existence. But there is a lot of, there is a lot of things that I've missed out on. And you, you start, I think at, at times in your life when you're not terribly well adjusted with yourself is you can mourn those things and they be, can become a resentment of how you feel about your work. And then that resentment can, you know, manifest in how you feel about yourself. And it's a very, very quick and slippery slope down to sort of some fairly destructive behaviour, both, you know, within and you know, within the workplace and outside the workplace. So it's a it's it's a difficult industry to navigate to get the very best out of ourselves, but also, you know, keep keep in in touch with all the things that really matter. Yeah, gosh. There's a lot to unpack in that. And let's just add one more <laughs> let's just add one more element, which is sexuality. And can we talk about that, about the place of that in, in your life and, uh, yeah, how it's intersected with everything else? Well, well I, think, I think many people would know that I've been, I, I, I've, I've been gay for, well, I, I'm just gay. I, well, <laughs> am, I, am I just gay? I'm just Annie, really. But, you know, I happen, I, uh, the easiest way to explain it is I suppose I happen to have fallen in love with women all my life. And sexuality is, I think, when I, when I look back at my mental health in my life, it was probably my struggles with sexuality as an adolescent that was when I was first aware of the fact that, you know, I had a tendency to be not so well. Um, and that could, that you know, as an adolescent, seen through the prism of you know normalcy, you know, I was different and I struggled, and I perhaps thought that my depressive you know tendencies were simply because of that. And as I grew older, I realised that the two were completely different. Um, but we we know that. We know that particularly in regional areas that sexuality and the acceptance or non-acceptance of being gay or, or trans, you know, trans or anything that is not the basic heterosexual thing is moving very slowly on an acceptance level and is a huge, a huge contributor to uh, youth suicide um, and suicide later on in life where you haven't had the the ability to actually reach out to somebody and get some professional help if you're not terribly well. And so for all the, you know, hospitality does seem to have a fairly large proportion of um, non-heterosexual people involved in it. And to all the, to all the young kids out there, you know, just, you know, it's, it's a really... It's a really tough ground to navigate and it, you know, people have to be incredibly understanding. You know, managers, owners, um, you know, mentors to to get across to the kids of today that, you know, it's okay, it, it might seem incredibly scary but it is, it's okay and there's mentors out there and organisations out there that actually can help and you can get contact, you know, you can get in contact with them and seek help. If you're struggling with dealing with, you know, being 
being non-heterosexual in with your family, with your workplace and thing, you know, all of those environments. So reach out. Yeah. It you've put yourself forward to talk about mental health because you think it's important to air it and I'm imagining that it's similar with sexuality where it's so important that people feel that they are able to be who they are that um that yeah you're you're into you're into chatting about it It, but I I'm just wondering about the balance between the importance that you place on being open but the burden of that as someone who you know still has bad days and struggles is it um energizing or is it draining for you to to be public about these things uh it can be it can be both um it's look it's a you know it's a double-edged sword if we don't talk about mental health or if we don't talk about bullying or if we don't talk about these these nasty sides of, of life, is it gets swept under the carpet. Now, for example, I've had, I've had two, two dishwashers at various stages in the last you know, little while at Defermiere who have both had an anxiety attack out of the blue in the kitchen. Now, one is an adolescent girl, one is a post-adolescent girl, and both of them just, they just lost it. You just look up from the stove and all of a sudden you've got a kid, you know, four metres away from you, wringing their hands with tears running down their faces. And we're not a, we're not a toxic environment and this is, and you just look at them and the first thing you think is, oh, have you cut yourself, have you burnt yourself? No. And I immediately know what's happened because it happens to me. And so they, you just have to stop. And in my world, it's quite difficult because I'm the only cook in the kitchen. And you just have to put the hand up and, you know, I take them by the hand, I lead them somewhere, I set them down on a milk crate, I get them a glass of water. And the first thing that they say is, oh, my God, I can't, I can't believe I'm doing this to you. I'm taking you away from the customers. I say, it's okay. It's five minutes. It actually doesn't matter. That five minutes doesn't matter. And they say, oh, yeah. But I say, I'm going to ring mum and I'm going to get her to come and get you. And you're just, just sit down. It'll be all right. I've got to take something off the stove. And it's, it's five minutes in my life, it's five minutes in my customer's life and there's this sense of it, it's a really long five minutes, Danny, but they just need to be settled. And what comes next is always this statement of um, I'm leaving you in the lurch. And for me it's as simple as if you had just picked up a pan that I hadn't told you was hot and you had an, your, the whole palm of your hand was blistered, I would send you home because you couldn't wash dishes. It's that simple. Yeah, if you'd cut yourself or you'd burnt yourself and you couldn't do the job, I would send you home and everybody would understand. But if you just had an anxiety attack and you can't stand there and do your job because you can't see that, most people just say, well, Oh, you'll be right, love. Just go and get a breath of fresh air. You can't do that to someone who's anxious. They, they need to be taken somewhere where they feel safe. And we need to recognise that mental, mental illness or not even, you know, 
it's it's something that these people are not doing this on purpose. Their brains just faltered for a minute and they can't do it. They just need to go away and you need to, you know, everybody needs to be able to accept this as the new norm. Yeah. Wow, Annie, I think if there if there's a kitchen in Australia that you had to cry in, I reckon yours would be the place, like, to, to be dealt with, with such empathy and understanding and I think but it hasn't but but it it hasn't always been the case daddy because I've been the bully boy in the kitchen I've resorted to those things in my past and it's now that we are that I've sought help and I've looked you know I've looked into the dark pits in my soul and said I've behaved badly others have behaved badly towards me and I've behaved badly towards others I don't, I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to be that person I just want to make it right uh, good on you mate like wow it's, it's I'm really I'm really moved um and really really impressed and just really grateful on behalf of the people that you're able to mentor and and just see as whole humans um do you do you know of an organization if someone's um thinking about their sexuality is do you know of an organization that's a good one to reach out to um i'm having i'm having a little emotional moment and i'm just um i'm just having a little blank <laughs> um look places place, um no no there's there's a great organization called the pinnacle foundation um, and they do a lot of mentoring um, of young gay people, um, both in you know in professional worlds and oh, they're, they're more a professional based one. Um, but generally, generally, you know, as always, Lifeline and Beyond Blue, uh, the you know they they have the resource kit to be able to send you in the right direction. And there's so many, there's so many organisations now that cater towards specifics. And I think it's always best to go to an umbrella organisation first, have a quick chat and say, look, these are the things I'm struggling with. And they can point you in the direction of, uh, you know, who can help you best. All right. So that's beyondblue.org.au and uh, the lifeline number is 1311. One four, um, Annie. What are the sheep up to right now? Um, the sheep. I've actually been watching Susan and Hannah, her daughter Hannah. They've shifted the sheep. They've gone down into the bottom paddock, and I now have the cashmere goats and the miniature white Galloway cattle in front of me. It's like it's, I've got the best office in the world. <laughs> it's just it's that's it's, pretty good. It, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty lovely. Nothing's happened outside my window. <laughs> Can't see any uh, furry oh, creatures. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're you're in you're in lockdown land, poor you. Yeah, i i need I need furry creatures to look at more than you do today, Annie. But that's all right. They can stay there on your beautiful farm. <laughs> uh, Annie, thank you so much for a really beautiful, rich chat. Um, I knew it would be, and uh, the old maximum is. Is true. There is never too much Annie Smithers. (laughs) Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Rob. Um, But yeah, just just if any you know, 
reach out to your GP if anyone is struggling or suffering. Reach out to your GP and see what help that they can give you because it's the first step and it's a scary step but it's well worth taking and I, I'm, I'm a much more functional person from taking that step. So here's to all the medicos out there that help people like me. Yes, here's to them and to you. Thanks, Annie. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.